Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and we are in the season of Advent. These are the four weeks that we will prepare for the coming of the Christ child that will culminate in our Christmas Eve celebrations, our 11 o'clock Sunday morning service, and then our combined 5.30 service with communion and candlelight. Come and join us. But the question for this time is, how will we prepare for God breaking into the world through the infant Jesus? Come, let's explore together. Come on in. Our first lesson comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 11 and 16. Now, when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving around in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth." And I will anoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Our second passage is Luke's gospel and the first part of the account of Jesus being born. Today we are looking at chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. 1, 26 through 38. Listen again with fresh ears for the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. 
The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how many people enjoy Monopoly, the board game? Yeah, we've all played. We've all played. Some people enjoy it. Some people play it. Sometimes it can become contentious. Sometimes it lasts forever. Sometimes there are streamlined versions of how you play. But one of the goals in the game, of course, is to acquire money. Some of that is by acquiring land, you buy these properties, and then once you own all three of the set, what, what can you do? You can do houses, and you can do hotels. And that's even more money <laughs> when your unsuspecting family members and friends have to land in your space. We like to build things if we can, don't we? Our lives, our houses, our faith, our journey. If we go back to that 2 Samuel passage that Edith read to you, David is itching to build God a house. And up to this point, Remember, God was in transition. There was no temple yet. David's son Solomon would build it after this moment in time where we are in 2 Samuel 7. So David has conquered, and this passage is really a fulfillment of Genesis 12 where God makes that original covenant and promise with Abraham that I will make a great people of you. This is coming true in what has happened with David. He's united Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms. They're now one kingdom. And David is now setting up headquarters in Jerusalem, the city of David, what would be known as the old city, the old city, the city of David. David finally is in a pretty good spot in his life. Israel, after all the bloody conquests, is at a moment where David is reflecting 
He's living in a pretty nice palace, pretty nice house. He says, you know what? God needs a house at least this good. I'm doing pretty well. I'm going to build one for God. Nathan the prophet is right there. If you remember, it was also Nathan who called him on the carpet for the whole Bathsheba, Uriah thing. Still God's appointed prophet to him. And David mentions this, I want to build a house for God. Because God needs at least a great house to dwell, a space. And Nathan says, well, okay. He consents. Usually prophets are pretty tough and they're pretty strong on God's word. And Nathan says, well, okay, okay. I can see that house. I'll, I'll be in charge. Head pastor of this new house, I think. Yeah, go ahead, build it. And then God comes back and says, no. He says, I've been with my children in Israel ever since the beginning. Did I need a house built for me then? I've been in a tent, in essence. If you remember when they were moving around from place to place, they had the Ark of the Covenant. Those Ten Commandments were seen as the center of where God was. Wherever that ark was is where God was. They would put it in this big tent they called the tabernacle, and it was movable. God says, I've been with my people moving all around. I've been with them everywhere they are, so why are you trying to constrict me into one place in one time? That is not what I mean for you, David. And David, trying to do a nice thing, right? Build a house for God. Except God seems to discern that there may be more in it for David. That maybe he wants, wants to be the one for all time to build God's first permanent structure, God's house. He looks around, he sees all of these other pagan gods who have these great big spaces of worship and structures, and our God doesn't have even that. And God tells David through Nathan, that's not what I want from you. This is your agenda, not mine. It will be later, but not at this point. I am going to build of you a house. You do not need to build me a house. That's a great line, God. Good job. You don't need to build me a house. I'm going to make of you a house. And when God says that to David, he is talking about the dynasty. He's talking about his children and the children's children and the lineage of the house of David that come into our passage where Gabriel is talking to Mary. He says, he who is coming, your son, Jesus will take this throne, will be in the lineage of David. So we go back and we see that David, with all of his well wishes for God, God says, that is not what I want. Did David take any time to sit and think or ask God or discern what God wanted? Uh, no is the answer to that. 
One of my first mission trips in ministry was a trip to AUS, A-H-U-S, Honduras. We were in the jungle. There were no roads. Could only get in and out by bush pilots. You land on little strips in fields. And one of the things we were there to do, there was a, uh, we, we had uh, a PA, physician's assistant, and his wife from our church. This was First Pres in Morganton, North Carolina. They had gone to serve for a whole year with this ministry in the jungle, he serving as in a medical sense. And we went there, spent about 10 days with them to help them do whatever needed to be done. So we worked some in that clinic, but we also worked on a house for an evangelist, he called himself. He was in a wheelchair, and his house was on stilts, as many of them were because of the waters that would flood. And there was only a ladder to his house. That is not a ramp. His house was high. The ladder was steep. In other words, he had to be carried up and down every time he wanted to be in his home. And so the the ministry folks there said, you know what, we're going to build him a house on the ground so he can roll in and out and have access to his own house. So we spent a lot of our time doing that. It wasn't a grand structure, but it was a beautiful structure built with love, from our hands, local folks, we were partnered, we were teams, we worked, we got it done in the time that we were there. Comes the last day, look what we have done, we thought to ourselves. We are fantastic bringers of happiness and God's love. We have made you a house. You can get in and come out. And we're all there, pictures are all being taken. And, and he says, thank you, but I really would have appreciated a, a speaker, a PA system. He said, excuse me, pardon me. What, what I would really have wanted, if anybody would have asked me, I would like a little PA system that I can put the speaker under my seat on my wheelchair and I can have a microphone and preach to people about God. said, okay, <laughs> here's your house. Nobody had thought to ask him what he wanted. That is a bad mission move. That is that toxic charity we sometimes hear about. We think we know what's best for them. So we make moves that, of course, they want. Why would they not? Well, this person was more motivated by faith, says, I will trade this house if you get me a speaker and a microphone. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? I'll deal with the issues I have to to get in my house and out of my house because that's less important. My comfort is less important than my faith. You didn't need to build me a house. That is the wrong agenda. And that's what God is saying to David. If David had had some time to think and discern and pray, maybe he would have come to that same conclusion, but he didn't. He decided he knew what God needed, and God said, that is not what I need. How much of our time is spent identifying our agenda, and then we squeeze God up into it? 
We all do it. All of us. I do. You do. We all do. The world does. Everybody quotes the Bible. Believers, non-believers, the good, the bad, the ugly. We all have our agendas we bring. And the word of caution that comes from God and David in this case is that before we assume God is on our side, before we assume that we are doing what God wants us to do in the way that we are being called, we need to stop and spend some time with God. I can go pick apart the Bible and lift up whatever you want. God doesn't want people to eat meat. God wants people to eat meat. God doesn't want people to live in houses. God wants people to live in houses. God doesn't want you to give away everything that you have to help the poor. God wants you to give away everything you have to help the poor. You tell me what the issue is, I'll defend it. That is what's happening with David and God. And we need to make sure that our agenda is not our agenda, it is God's agenda. And we do that not just by saying, well, clearly this is right and right versus wrong. It's not that clear. Often we are in the gray. We all see that a little bit differently and seeking God's word in time, sitting with God and trying to reflect on this to see where God is leading us is imperative to us. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And we think we have God figured out to the extent that we have. God is in our box of our making. I believe to this point. I believe God is this. And then we let it go and think we know how God operates. That's probably what Mary thought of her schooling, of her growing up, her understanding of how God operated. And then one day... The angel Gabriel comes. Scary. Gabriel comes in three places in the Bible, is assumed maybe in a fourth. Once to Daniel, the angel Gabriel comes and says, this is Gabriel, and Gabriel comes to tell him a little bit about the end times. A lot of that in Daniel. And then the other two occurrences are right here, where he goes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have... John the Baptist, six months before Gabriel goes to Mary and says, you're going to have Jesus. So Gabriel, these three places, he's an angel, that's all we know. In this case, a messenger, which is the core of what an angel is and does. Mary's just there. An angel in all the angel's glory comes and says, guess what, friend? Things are going to change. God's agenda for you is this. You are going to conceive and have a child. That child is going to bring good news and joy for all. God in love is going to do a new thing through you and him. And it's going to be amazing. Mary says, hmm. how, how, how can this be? How can this be? Angel says, is anything? All things are possible with God. And 
37, verse 37. For God, all things are possible. It's interesting. A lot of the Christian family doesn't believe in the virgin birth. I don't quite get that. And a lot of those same people affirm God as creator of the universe. If God can do that, God can't do this thing over here. Of course God can because God did. How can this be, she says. And then he tells her, this is what's going to happen. God's going to surround you with love and light. There was nothing sexual to this. This is not done in the same way that humans bring children into the world. This is a God miracle and moment. She is surrounded by God's love and warmth and grace. The Spirit will come and surround her, and she will be with child. And she says, here am I. Let it be according to your will. Here am I. So the two things she says is, how can this be? We ask that a lot, don't we? When we read Scripture, when we seek to follow Christ, how can this be? And Gabriel tells her some things, but doesn't tell her exactly how all of this is going to operate or what it's going to look like. But she knows enough that God's love is with her and God's love is doing a new thing. Okay, I'll do it. I'm in. Here am I. Just like Isaiah said when he was called, I'm a, a unworthy, a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. God purifies him, sends the little seraph, the little pudgy, hollow uh, Valentine's Day looking thing with a charcoal, touches his lips, cleanses him, and he says, here I am, send me. Mary, in the same way, responds, here I am, send me. So today, as we look again at this familiar story, we see that Gabriel connects it back to David and David's house, David's agenda that was not God's agenda, and we are being called in the same way today to consider the agendas that we assume are God's and God's will that we assume is God's will. David meant well, we think, for the most part. Might have had some of his own glory and power tied up in it. But we cannot assume that what we know and what we think is right is automatically God's will. That's discernment. And then second, how can this be, she questions, Somewhere in there, she believes enough, and then she submits. She agrees. She questions, and we all need to question. She believes, or she has enough to go on. None of us will know it all. Mary didn't know it all. Even Jesus said he didn't know some things, like when the end of the world would come. I don't know that. That's all, and my father knows that. 
None of us will ever know enough or know it all, but we all know enough. And then we submit, we say, okay, God. And then Jesus, oh, I don't want to spoil it. You have to come back for 5.30 and see what happens. But God is doing something new in love. He did it with David, brought his people all the way through, freed them from Egypt through the Red Sea, doing something new in love. That's what God has done from day one of creation, something new in love. And there are hard moments in that, and there are hard times to look and say, how is that God's love? But God is constant in God's seeking our love, to give us God's love in that relationship between God and humankind. And today we are reminded nothing is impossible for God. That our goal on this day is to have Christ within all of us born anew. To see the culmination of hope, peace, joy, and love as something that leads us to discern what God's will is and what God is doing new in love in you as individuals and as us as a congregation. What new thing is breaking into our hearts and our lives right now? That is our God. Our God is a creative God who always is creating and recreating. Every day, every moment, every heart, every life, every church family. So today we do celebrate that lineage that started with Abraham, that runs through David, who God built a house, meaning his dynasty and family and monarchy and throne, even though he wanted to build God a physical house, and God said no. Should have asked me first. To Mary and Elizabeth, for whom Gabriel comes and says, guess what? Amazing things God is doing new in love through each of you. So we celebrate on this Advent 4 that God is getting ready to do something new in love with Christ breaking through in each of our hearts and lives. Let us discern what that is for each one of us, and then let us go and share that love, that hope, that peace, and that joy in the world. For this is Christmas, something new in God's love. Hallelujah. Amen.